that uh, sometimes uh, it's difficult and there are difficulties in reconciling the realities of what life brings us. And much of what we understand when it comes to the things of hope and promise, especially in light of Jesus and the new covenant. You know, afflictions and, and troubles, things that cause pain to our bodies or our minds, suffering, it has a sense of continuance. It, it, seems, to, it seems to last and always continue. You know, I, I was thinking about how uh, watching the kids and being around the kids, uh, you watch how they have these seasons of illness, right? Where they're building up their immunity, but they're suffering while they're doing it. You know, they, they, they can't handle all of the things that are coming at them, and they, they constantly uh, go through this period where they have to, you know, get the stuffy nose and maybe get the ear infection. And, you know, the kids that are lighter, you know, the weakest ones, they, they seem to have the worst of it. You know, they, they struggle even more. And uh, it almost seems unfair, you know. Uh, and uh, there seems to be a permanence to it. Like every kid is going to go through this, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I think about where I'm from and my family, you know, we, we, were, we all grew up right off the Hudson River, you know, where the Mohawk River and the Hudson River meet. It's called the Mohawk Valley. And uh, that's, I always say that's why I got so many natives in my church, you know, because I come from native roots. But uh, the truth is, um, there, one of the things that we always noticed was people got bad teeth. You know, they all, it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like it goes from generation to generation, you know. And uh, I heard one dentist tell me, well, yeah, it's because, you know, the parents kiss the kids, then the kids get the infection that the parents got in their teeth, and then it just keeps on traveling down the line, you know. And we always thought that it had to do with drinking that water, that where we were from. But no matter what, you know, it, there's this continued thing that we go through, doesn't it? It just continues to to strike us and 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 and, and just and just dash our hopes. You know, I always want to be pretty, but you know, <laughs> didn't work out, right? Words happen too, don't they? Words they seem to never end. You know, there's always a critic. You always start feeling good. You feel good about yourself for a week or so, and then somebody, you know, comes up and says something, right? You know what I'm talking about. And there are harder blows of life than even that. Sometimes, you know, uh, physical infirmity can get really, really tough. It can get very, very difficult. You know, and, and, and one of the most painful aspects of infirmity like that is it starts to affect the normalcy of your life. My dad is, is going through some of this, where his physical infirmities are beginning to start affecting his ability to live a normal life. Sometimes it may also just be circumstantial conditions that occur. You know, we don't all grow in the same pot. We don't all have a fair life. 
this life isn't fair. There are many, many, many inequities. You know, and unless you're able to get a grip on that and deal with it from a proper perspective, what will happen is it will begin to mold your character. It will begin to embitter you. It will begin to cripple you or so press you down that you seem to have no ability to, to rise up. And it almost seems like some of these things can be so present that that divine purpose that we all want to fulfill seems to be out of reach, seems to be something that we can't keep up with, and it seems to be something that is being kept from us. I know I felt that myself. So I want to read from the Word of God because I, I believe God can really help us. Because I believe that God is my refuge and my strength. And I believe He's your refuge and your strength tonight. The Bible says in Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Let's pray tonight. Lord, Father, God, I ask you to anoint these words. I ask you, Lord, Father, God, to do a mighty work and to speak to our hearts and heal us tonight, Father, God, to bring joy into our hearts and to strengthen us and comfort us in times of trouble. And, Father, God, I ask you to let us be vessels of your glory. Let us leave here with confidence that you can use us for your divine purposes and that our lives truly will matter because we've given them to Jesus Christ. And I'd say that, amen. The role that we first must figure out is the role of suffering and affliction because it's relative to every Christian experience. The biggest help was that when I first walked into this church, one of the errors that I had in my mind was that I thought the only way I could have success was by something miraculously changing on the outside. When I walked into this church, I thought that something had to change in my current situation for me to have peace. And I thought the only thing God could do for me was change something out there. And that error was quickly corrected by the man of God that was in this church preaching the word of God. He never gave me any false narrative. He told me the truth. He said, you know what, Wes? It might take you a long time to get where you need to be. God loves you and he'll help you. See, the error that I had in my mind was that although I profess to know that salvation doesn't remove me from reality, I knew that things happened. I was still very taken aback when things happened. See, 
You know, fighting things like major depression is a serious fight. And sometimes when we come face to face with sometimes completely new and many times unexpected crises, we immediately begin to cycle into something which begins to speak cursing and unbelief into our lives. And we must not do that. We must not do that. My wife gave me the sign. That means it's too cold. Praise God. But it's true. First Peter chapter 4 says these words. Listen, listen tonight. Let God help us. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. See, the beloved are those who enter in to the belovedness of Jesus Christ. And I want you to hold on to that thought for a second. When he says the words beloved, he's not talking about people that he loves. He's not talking about ones in which he places favor on. He's not talking about his family and friends. He's talking about people who have actually entered into something through Jesus Christ and their faith in Him. And one of the things that we enter into is suffering and affliction. And it's not the most popular aspect of Christian life. You know, you'll never see uh, uh, a big, uh, uh, you know, New York Times best-selling uh, you know, book uh, by uh, Joel Osteen that says, How We Suffer, and you know, has a guy up there, and he's just like, yeah! That's not, that's not how he rolls. Matter of fact, truth is that most people are uncomfortable with it. And it's not something that is really that fair. If you think about it, it's the only part of our Christian life that we don't have to pursue. I mean, it's not something that we need to pursue. You don't pursue after suffering. It just happens. When you become a Christian, you begin to learn what it means to suffer. Now, some of us who live lives that are a little bit over the edge, we know what it's like to suffer before we became Christians. But there's a different suffering when you become a Christian. Because when you weren't a Christian, you were suffering because of your own actions. But after you become a Christian, you'll learn 
that God calls us to suffer for the actions of others. And you'll find that sometimes, unless you have Jesus, you're going to end up all by yourself. See, the problem with most of us, though, is that this is the most terrifying idea in the world. This is why people are in love with their phones. I don't know if you've caught on to this, but see, people think they're not alone when they're on their phone. People that would never spend, couldn't spend an hour in a room by themselves can sit on their phone and ignore everyone for days. It's a miraculous thing. But the thing is, the most terrifying thing that grips your mind is that one day, you're going to be all alone. What if it happens to you? You better know that you shared in the suffering that Jesus shared in. See, sometimes we become consumed with avoiding suffering or escaping suffering. It becomes the entire focus of and perspective of even our faith. This is why so many, um, you know, uh, what, what John Wesley called almost Christians exist. These are people who have no problem with being a Christian. They just have a problem with suffering on behalf of Jesus. They have a problem sacrificing. They have a problem keeping promises. They have a problem making a true covenant with God. And they turn that promise, they turn that covenant into things like blessing ministries. They turn it into things like, I'm okay, you're okay. Well, the truth is, you'll always be emotionally and spiritually dwelling at a major impasse if you're expecting events to be gone from your life, and that is where your hope lies. See, events, they come and they go. The only thing that's going to endure forever is that solid rock that is Jesus Christ. You know, there's another conflict that happens to a lot of us, I think, and one of them is, is very difficult to talk about because we don't all go through the same thing. I'm not going to stand here before you tonight and tell you that I've gone through what you've gone through. I would never do that. There are people who have gone through so much more than I. One of the reasons I like to read is because I get inspiration from people who are willing to write down what they've been through and how they got through it. But this conflict that a lot of people have is the why me attitude. The what did I do? The what is the purpose? What's the value of attempting to reconcile with God? And they devise strange ways of thinking, even strange doctrines and beliefs. I've talked to you guys many times most of you who are very, very close and pay close attention to me, they know that
that my most hated doctrine is no fear. <laughs> I hate that shirt. I mean, I try when people come in and they got the shirt on and it's like, hey, man, good. how are you doing? But I can't stand that doctrine. No fear. You know, it always, I just, all I want to do is figure out how to make them fear something. Right? But this is the kind of strange doctrine that people have. It's something that they built up to make themselves feel good about the fact that they have to suffer. I don't suffer, man. I'm not afraid of nothing. Suffering that ain't part of who I am. I make other people suffer. Right? That's what they're saying. That's their attitude. But Jesus said, God, I'm afraid. Take this from me. If you can possibly take it from me, take it from me, but your will be done. Jesus had fear. You know why? Because fear of God is the beginning of all understanding. Fearing the Lord like Jesus did would do a great deal of good for all of us here tonight. See, it's important that we don't accept the lies of the adversary and make a perverted portrait of God. Because that can break everything in our lives and shatter it into a million pieces. See, the Christian promise, the Christian hope is like what Jesus talked about there. It really is a hope that's beyond ourselves. That has a focus and a foundation that is not simply the power of the human spirit. It's not simply based on our own ability. It's not simply based on our own strength. It's on our ability to continue. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You must remember, your circumstances are never entirely unique. God is faithful. He knows your limits. And he has set limits. That's what that scripture says. His grace will either deliver you out of or enable you to bear and carry and shoulder it. And this is a reality. This is a reality that I even found out. See, ourselves have this problem. We prefer to escape anytime. My kids, they are really, really, you know, they can, they can suffer you into thinking they're just adorable. You know what I mean? But they will try to escape anything. Any kind of thing that they see as not conforming to their will. 
I mean, my son, I should have known this. I, I, he fooled me. I, he, he, he does this thing where he just is like, he monsters and he just says, run away! And they run away from the monsters, right? But really, he's running away from responsibility. Because I tell him things like, don't do this, right? Wesley, don't run. And he says, run away, and he runs away. And we rejoice over this type of thing. He's doing that. That's what he's doing when he does that. He, he's rejoicing over this thing that he's learned to run away to a safe place. Daddy, daddy thinks it's cute. See, I made the mistake of, of smiling and being excited the first time he did that. Big mistake. Big no-no. And we do this. We rejoice over the testimony of how God took away our problem, right? Yay, God took away our problem. Yeah. It's also a great testimony when God, in reality, through His grace, helps us through something. Helps us to press on. Not just hold on, but in the face of the handicap, cause life to be effective. Especially when you could just make an excuse. See, that's an amazing thing. I, I learned that. My wife has unfortunately had to learn that. The hard way. I, I'm kind of, you know, a box of rocks. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, my, my way of thinking is not always that plain for the eye to see. I'm not, sometimes I can be very immovable. And the truth is that my wife has had to learn that me not making the right decision can't be an excuse. We've had to learn as a couple that we can't use each other as an excuse to fail. Especially when it comes to failing God and being and living Christian lives. You know, men are men are a lot of the things that women say we are. It's just the truth. Guys, you gotta deal with it. And ladies, as my mom would say very wisely, I'm going to quote her so you guys don't get mad at me. But my mom used to say they don't say all those things because they came out of thin air. The truth is, you know, most of these stereotypes about men and women are based on facts. They're based on realities. You know? We do, yeah, we do, like to shrug off all our responsibilities, grab a gun, climb up a mountain, and look at something. We like that. That's what men like to do a lot. Women like to put all the dishes in the sink, and then, then go in their bedroom, call up their girlfriend, and three hours later, complain about how messy the kids are. 
now I'm just betting that I'm not going to go any further. Good luck. See, what I'm trying to say is that Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, and, 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 and this is where God talks about faith in, in chapter 11. It says there's a great cloud of witnesses whose testimony admonishes us to lay aside every way in sin. And to run with endurance the race set before us. It doesn't say to lay aside all of our weight and all of our sins, but every weight and sin. That includes the weight and sin of others. You know, the truth is that the reason we should do this is because this cloud of witnesses, many of them were tortured. Verse 35. Many of them were put on trial. Many of them were mocked. Many of them were scourged. Many of them were put in chains. Many of them were imprisoned. And you got to come to a certain place where you realize that running with endurance is running the race set before us towards Christ, towards faith, towards the truth. Where do you turn? Who do you run to? There's only one. Psalm 55, verse 6 says, So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would wander far off, remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape. See, what he's doing is he's praying to God and he's saying, God, I, I'm all alone and I don't know where to go. I would go anywhere but where I am. He's saying, even my complaints are restless. One of the great lines in there is, I moan noisily. I love that. My, my son does that. He doesn't just moan. He moans noisily. He has, he has intention behind his voice. The truth is that I want to be honest tonight, you know, oppression is wicked. And the oppression of the wicked is the worst feeling in the world. The heart can be severely, merely hurt with pain. Fearfulness can happen. And trembling can happen. It's come on me before. The horror of being overwhelmed can happen to any of us. The truth is we have to cry out and learn to cry out the Lord, our refuge and our strength. We must seek Him out. We must flee to Him. We must put ourselves with His covering and His safety and His refuge. You know, the word refuge means to flee from something. God knows. He knows what He's talking about. It's the only way out of evil and danger is to partake in the life of Christ. You know, the disciples, they, they made all these requests to Jesus. And it all came down to Jesus saying, can you drink my cup? And their response was, we can. And he said, you will. You will indeed. 
He's referring to this suffering and this affliction that we all must understand. It's not something we can avoid. It's integral. It's, it's the essence of being connected to our Christ, our Lord and Savior, partaking in Christ's life. It's a part of partaking. You know, partaking in Christ's life is not just paying your dues. It's a divine life with a purpose where he can work through us. It's more than just getting a taste of something or having God teach us something or having God work something out for us. I've heard so many people, and I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I know that God's trying to teach us things. But I have grown weary of to see people who think that this is what God's purpose is, to teach you something. It's not God's purpose. Philippians 3.10 says it's perfect. God's purpose is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. It's about laying down your life and knowing that everything else is rubbish compared to Christ. It's having that dimension in your relationship and your fellowship. Having an intimate knowledge. You know, some of us, some of us have to understand that suffering is where we'll realize the quality of grace that we need in our lives. That we need to understand. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutable of his counsel. He confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. A better way of putting that, or an easier way of understanding that, is that God in his desire to show more convincingly and beyond doubt the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, that we who have fled to him for refuge might have a mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement to grasp and hold fast the hope anointed for us and set before us. Now we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It cannot break down under whoever steps out upon it. You know, God has a bridge that will never be broken. He's provided it for us. It'll never fall short. The bridge is called our place of refuge. 
And it's on the backs of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Jesus holds that bridge. He holds it up. And it's based on that reliability. That certainty. That God makes his promise. God does not lie. He never lies. Time and time again. The Bible confirms this. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Numbers 23.19 Probably the most valuable scripture for us. Psalm 89 verse 35 Once I have sworn by my holiness I will not lie to David. God made a covenant. A covenant based on forgiveness of sins. To raise up a Messiah that would save the world. And save mankind. Save your soul. You lay your hope in that. You begin to learn to trust in that. And what will happen is you will have an unchangeable faith. You will have a faith that makes you make the right decision. You'll have a faith that allows you to endure the suffering of others. You'll have a faith that allows you to be there for your husband, for your wife, for your child. You will stand in the gap because Jesus stood for you. And that confidence that God would never betray you will become an anchor that will cause you to change. You'll change from the person who waves to the left and to the right. And you'll become a beacon of light. You'll become a pillar of strength that people will look at and it will be a landmark for them. That's my goal for this church. For people to see just pillar after pillar after pillar more and more families and individuals who have gone through the toughest of times and they are clung together, making a bridge, standing on the back and the shoulders of what Jesus has done. That's a promise that God makes for each and every one of us, no respecter of man. He doesn't do it for man. He does it for his son, Jesus Christ. You can't let God down. Because Jesus Christ never let God down. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. We serve a holy God. He's going to help us tonight. I want to just take a moment and listen. I want to be clear about something. 